good to be back in uh, Indiana. I was a Hoosier for a couple of years, uh, lived near Ben Davis High School up in Indianapolis and have missed it, missed it ever since. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the accompaniment, uh, you know, we're singing Star Wars. <clears throat> I was in a church in, uh, on the south side of Chicago and the organist never left the console while the preacher was preaching. And he'd say, you know, we've been pussyfooting with the devil and the guy go noodle along like that. And <laughs> do y'all do that here? Could I, could I have that done? <clears throat> That would be fun. Well, it's just been the best time here. I, I am so grateful for the kindness of the Whitakers and, and uh, Daniel and Rob and family. It's just, I, I, it's going to be hard to go back where I'm not appreciated. And uh, here, <laughs> here they treat me so well. Uh, when I was a kid, particularly, it still happens occasionally, but when I was a kid, particularly, I would have nightmares and I'd even dread going to sleep because the same creature would show up every night, uh, kind of a Freddy Krueger thing. I, I had a skeleton with a gold hand who used to stalk me through the neighborhood. He would crawl through the neighborhood and, and then extend the gold hand toward me and I would be paralyzed and he would come closer and closer and just at the last minute I would thaw out and run away and he'd keep coming and I'd wake up, and I knew just as sure as the world, the next night he'd show up again. And, and as I said in the first, if you're, if you're a psychologist, just don't even bother here. Don't, don't help me. I haven't had the dream for years. Uh, I was trapped in my elementary school uh, once after school in the dream, and bats were chasing me all around, upstairs and down. I ran into the boys' restroom, ran into a stall. The bats came in over the transom, started banging against the door, I was terrified, not knowing what bats did, but I knew it was not good. Uh, and another time, this happened frequently, um, I would be enrolled in classes in a semester, but forget one of them, and it's late in the term, and I haven't done any of the work. Have you ever had that one done? Or in real life, perhaps you've done that. <laughs> but uh, those were horrifying, and they seemed so real, and, and they seemed so inescapable. And then you wake up. Isn't that a great feeling, to wake up? And all the troubles that you're worrying about are, are so light now. It's like, yeah, I lost my job at the plant, and, you know, my kid rolled the car in the ditch last night, but, hey, I'll take that over the bats or, what, you know, whatever it was. Uh, well, a lot of people live in nightmares. They live in terrible, um, ter- live terrible lives of anxiety. They're, they're afraid that they'll get a bad medical diagnosis or that um, a spouse is slipping into into Alzheimer's or that their children have chosen friends badly and they're going to get in trouble or they're not going to graduate from something. You know, people just live frightened lives or, or, or lives with the sense they'll, they'll never get a lot of the stuff that they wanted to get and other people are getting those things and they're just going to be shortchanged somehow or miserable. And, and uh, it's, it's such a sad thing. But as we read the scripture, we realize that those are nightmares we can wake up from that however scary it might be, when we turn to what Christ has for us, it's as though we're waking up from a nightmare and we're saying, whoa, I'm not a goner. I'm not ruined. You know, it's, it's going to work out. And this is a wonderful passage about what Jesus has for every single one of us uh, who abide in him and trust in him. So let's just track through this very quickly. Uh, we're not going to go through all 11 verses. We're just going to do the first three verses. And, and first, there's good news for the poor, certainly good news for the poor in spirit. We know the, the Beatitudes. But um, good, good news for if you don't have money or enough money or enough stuff. Uh, if you live in America and you've been on a mission trip, you know we do pretty well by the world standards. But still, it's a fast track here. And people have a lot of stuff. And sometimes it's really 
frustrating that you don't have more stuff. Um, but the Bible has a lot of good news for us. Uh, you're always going to have enough. Now, you think, no, 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 you don't know me. We've run short repeatedly. But let me explain this. Because God's grace is sufficient for every single day. When I went into the Army, I, I did ROTC back in the 60s. And, I, and uh, when I got to, to basic at Fort Sill, I knew what I wanted. I'd been reading war, war comics and watching things on television and watching movies. And I knew I wanted a hand grenade. I knew I wanted a machine gun. Uh, I wanted a big Arctic suit that had fur like that and big Mickey Mouse boots. And uh, I, I wanted a repelling rope. I think I wanted a beret. I saw some of those. I thought that was cool. And, uh, and I got in, and they gave me the most drab, uh, literally olive drab, uninspiring stuff in the Army, kind of uh, green pajamas. Uh, that's back before we had the uh, BDUs, the, the camouflage stuff. And, uh, and, and I had like a little rifle. It was an M16, no grenade. Uh, I, I said, are you sure? You know, no, you don't get a grenade. Uh, <laughs> And then I had a plastic canteen. My dad was in World War II. He had a man's canteen. He had a metal canteen. But they gave me a plastic canteen. And as if I was with Mattel or something, I couldn't. Or, uh, but it, it doesn't rattle on patrol, so it was a, bit, it was a better thing to have. But anyway, I, I, for, for one reason or another, I ended up staying mainly in the Guard and Reserve for 28 years before I retired. And, and, I, and I did a whole lot of stuff, sleeping on the ground and flying around in helicopters and working in the Pentagon and Fort Irwin and Fort Hood and Fort Campbell and Fort this and that and Carson and the like. And, you know, the funny thing is I never ran short of gear. I mean, the Army always gave me just what I needed to do what the Army had for me to do. Now, I didn't have the gear for somebody else's mission. I just had the gear for my mission. And in many cases, it wasn't a very exciting mission, but it was just my mission. And so, uh, as they say, the Army in its infinite wisdom uh, was sufficient for, for everything. If they had something for me to do, they gave me the gear to do it. Now, do you realize that's true for you as a Christian? I mean, you may not have the gear to do somebody else's thing, but this very day, you have every single thing you need to do what God has for you to do today. So, well, I wish I had his health. You know, I, I wish I had his car. I wish I had his resume. I wish I had his, uh, you know, biorhythms or whatever. Listen, you're not, you don't have his stuff to do. You've got your stuff to do. And you're perfectly equipped to do it today. Isn't that good news if you're, you feel like you're short of stuff? And, uh, and, and let me mention another thing. When I taught at Wheaton College back in the 70s, they had a thing called the plunge. I think the anthro people took students into, into Chicago to just live on the streets for two or three days. I mean, these were just like good old evangelicals from Iowa or something, and they're just living on the streets of Chicago with the street people. And, uh, and it was chilly. It was in the middle of winter, and they had to go down to the probably the Pacific Garden Mission to get a little bit of soup, and they would find where the steam was coming up through the, through the grates on the sidewalk, and they would stand there and I guess just shuffle around from dumpster to dumpster looking for recently expired Twinkies or something like that. And that was, that was their life. But there was a difference between the Wheaton students and, and the people who were the street people. I mean, at the moment, they looked just the same. But within a few, few days, they'd be back at Wheaton in the dorm or they'd be at Mama's Kitchen and she'd be giving them cocoa and patting them on the head and telling them what brave kids they were and this kind of thing. They were telling war stories and basking in their experience. Well, you see, we're like those Wheaton students. 
we're having an adventure on the streets right now. We're having the plunge. But pretty soon we're out of here. And this is not our home. Our home is heaven. And so enjoy the growing experience, the adventure, the stretching experience. But this, this is just over like a cough, practically, this whole life. I, I mentioned, uh, you know, you take a strand from the carpet and compare it to the whole carpet. That strand is sort of your life on earth compared to the whole expanse. And just take the carpet infinitely in every direction. I remember as a kid, a revival preacher came to town and he said, imagine a globe of metal the size of the earth. And once a year, a sparrow comes and lands on the globe and then lights for a moment and flies away. And when that landing of the sparrow has worn the metal ball down to something the size of a marble, then eternity will just be starting. I mean, I never got over that. I was like eight and I thought, ah, you know, but that's, we have an eternal life in the Lord. And this is just nothing here. So that's good news, isn't it, for the poor? He binds up brokenhearted, it says. Brokenhearted. I've been brokenhearted. I, th I think I get brokenhearted about once a day. You know, I'm sailing along. I get a grumpy phone call or I get some kind of report. I'm, I'm over all the extensions and some bad word will come in from, I don't know, D.C. or Chicago. And it's like, oh, my. And, and he doesn't say, well, you wimp. You know, I just deal with like robust, hearty people Cheer up and we'll talk. No, he binds up our broken hearts. I got brokenhearted by Brenda in college. I was a sophomore and she was a freshman. And uh, as Campus Crusade says, you know, I had, well, they don't say it exactly. I had a wonderful plan for her life. Uh, it involved marriage. I trusted it was God's plan as well. But, uh, and we were sailing along famously until um, her old boyfriend from high school, Cliff, uh, reached out to her from the University of Arkansas and turned her foolish head. And uh, she kind of went back to him, and the whole thing came apart. And I was just uh, lying comatose in my uh, dorm, listening to Sounds of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. <laughs> or the stones, you know, they'll stone you when you won't. Oh, everybody must get stoned, you know. I mean, it was just, it was hard. And uh, I just thought life was over and I'd eat worms and die. And, and, um, and then I met Sharon. And Sharon was wonderful. And uh, she became my wife. And we've been married for 43 years now. And we're hopeful that it's going to work out. We, we see the signs. <laughs> um, but um, God's good. He saw me with my broken heart, and he bound it up. And, and by the way, I, I, I hasten, to, hasten to say this. If it had been singleness instead of marriage, instead of Sharon, then that would have been good too. That he does not crush our spirits, he heals our spirits. He binds up our broken hearts. So if you're feeling like really crushed, don't wait around to feel perky to go to him. Just go to him crushed and say, I read your job description uh, in church. I even put it on the screen. Uh, you bind up broken hearts, I understand. <laughs> Mine's broken. I'm here. What you got? Uh, he does that. And then it says he's come to, um, oh, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's good news. Now, none of you is in jail today, best I can tell. Some may be on work release, but, uh, you know, you're at least out today. But this speaks to more than physical imprisonment. It speaks to the bondage that we have in our spirits and our circumstances, but also just our addictions and, and uh, afflictions. 
I was reading the Indianapolis Star one day, and they had, it was a Saturday, I think, and they had a list of every support group in the central Indiana area, and it was alcoholics this, and gamblers that, and pornography this. There's a Messies Anonymous for people who can't throw anything away, and there's like a 12-step program somewhere out in the San Fernando Valley or something like this, so some of you are <laughs> making notes to self, my husband, you know, but there are all these people in bondage. Some shoot up on heroin, some shoot up on plastic. If they're feeling blue, they'll take that card, hit the mall, and shoot up at the, at the store. Or some will shoot up on uh, a milkshake at Steak and Shake or uh, uh, comfort food somewhere. Um, I was born in Lebanon, Tennessee, the spiritual universe, center of the universe, because that's where Cracker Barrel is founded. And you can do a lot of damage, <laughs> get a lot of comfort out of Cracker Barrel, but do a lot of damage. But we find all kinds of ways to administer or minister to ourselves and medicate ourselves and yet we feel tawdry I mean we feel broken it's we're robbed of our joy because we're in some kind of bondage to something and 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 the Lord doesn't say clean it up Jack and then we'll start to do work together he says I will come down into the dungeon and I will turn the key because I set the captives free and you can turn to him right now with whatever is bedeviling you and whatever has trapped you. You may just be a worry wart. You, just, you may be sort of like you started as a little stream of worry and now you're the Grand Canyon and every thought that you have flows through this great canyon of worry. And it just, it's just uh, besieging you. Now, how will he do it? Well, he'll do it a lot of different ways. He, he may uh, uh, interrupt your car ignition. You, you may be going someplace you shouldn't, and he'll, he'll, you know, and he'll say, ah, see? Or you may be someplace about to buy something you shouldn't, and all of a sudden, you know, your Sunday school teacher walks by or something, and, and like, you know, but then he says, thank you. Um, he may fill your life with some kind of particular preoccupation or blessing, and, and uh, you may have a problem with overeating, and then it's 2.30 in the afternoon, and you hadn't even thought of lunch because you got so excited about the thing you were doing. He, just, he controls everything, you know? So he can do anything to help get you free. It may be that you're just sailing along the road, and you hear something on the radio, and he prompted that you know, radio DJ or whatever to put on just what you needed to hear to get your mind on a different track. So anyway, trust him to do that. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance. What was the year of the Lord's favor? It was 1992. If you missed it, you know, sorry, but uh, we're moving on. That's not what it's about. It's a year of openness and acceptance, kind of jubilee. Um, I was... Uh, late for a banquet once in a kind of tough part of town and the banquet was served and everybody had gone down and and my wife and I were banging on the window trying to get in and nobody nobody and dogs were coming by in packs and papers were blowing along the sidewalk and and finally the janitor saw us and we got to go in and sit down with friends and enjoy the meal and I've thought of that image again and again because there will be a day when the, the wedding banquet of the lamb, is, uh, the bride is served and, and everybody's going to be gathered, the saints are going to be gathered, and the doors will be shut. It's not going to be open. The doors aren't open anymore. It's the, the great divorce, the, the end. And that's going to be a very bad time for people who are shut out. But the good news is today the doors are open. The invitation is out. It is the season of the Lord's acceptance. Do not delay to accept the invitation. Come to the Lord. And there's a day of vengeance. And you think, well, 
I shouldn't care about that because I'm too nice. But listen, sometime deep in your heart do you say, I am sick to death of the way they're treating those Christians in Egypt or in Iran or, you know, Lord, are you watching? Or what did Al-Qaeda just, come on, God, are you? And he says, listen, I, I am not turning a blind eye to this. I, I, I am going to make things right. You think, Thank you for saying that. I can take a deep breath. But then I think, uh-oh, if there's a day of vengeance for wrongdoers, I'm toast. Because I know my wrong, boy, do I know my wrong. And I think, uh-oh, if justice happens, I'm a goner. And then I remember that Christ died for me. He took my vengeance. And because I trust in what he did in his atoning death, then I don't have a day of vengeance. And that's good news. That's gospel. So there is going to be a day of vengeance, but those in Christ will escape it. And then he comforts all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I think of a lady in our church in Arkansas. Her name was Sudi. Sudi married foolishly in World War II. Uh, within a year, the marriage fell apart. Married a, uh, a sailor in the army. I could have warned her, but married a sailor. Things went bad. Uh, and then later on, she married a barber named Red. He's a big old guy, big old fellow, happy, joyful, and then he died of a heart attack, and then she contracted breast cancer and had mastectomy, double mastectomy, and because Red didn't have insurance and she was a cancer victim, she didn't have sufficient insurance and very little income. So when I met Sudi as her pastor, she was a divorcee, a widow, a cancer victim, pretty poor, and she was also the most joyful woman in the church. And she started our prayer ministry, and she used to write me after I moved to, on to the next thing, and she'd write a prayer gram, and I'd have to take it out of the envelope with tongs because I would burn my fingers on the glory. And she just, I remember she used to just say, I, I'd be riding along sometimes listening to the radio, and I'll just, I'll hear something, I'll say, oh, Jesus, Jesus. I'm like, where'd that come from? Sooty. We, we'd have the youth choir or somebody up here, and they'd sing, and she'd, after she'd just say, oh, you know, and it's just her glad, oh, Jesus. I've heard her in Brazil down in the Amazon region where we're witnessing to people and giving reports and just, oh, Jesus. And it's just, isn't that weird that she would have all that hardship in her life and be full of joy? But it says here, doesn't it, that he gives them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. I was supposed to be an inspirational speaker once in uh, Dayton. I know that astonishes you, but they were shorthanded. But it was in, in Dayton, and I was driving east from Indianapolis, and it was like March or something, and it was, it was like everything had been harvest, harvested, flat fields, gray, horizontal rain. My biorhythms were low, if there are biorhythms, and I'd been a creep in the office or something, and I'd just think, I'm either going to be an inspirational speaker tonight or a, mer a serial killer. But one of these is uh, something, Lord, help me, help me. I tried to bargain. I couldn't think of any bargaining chips uh, for, for blessing. And I finally at a gas station near Richmond just said, God, can you please just out of your grace, just give me some blessing so that I could amount to something tonight. I went there, had supper with the folks. We spoke. We heard other people. We sang. I get home at 2 in the morning to Indy. I couldn't get to sleep. I was so charged up, so excited. And even that night, I remembered, okay, thank you, thank you. It was just a, a cry of misery. And he said, I've heard you. You're pathetic. Here, here's a blessing. You know, <laughs> he does that, I think. 
I used to fly through Atlanta a lot, and there was a guy at the entrance to the train. You have parallel terminals with a perpendicular track underneath at Hartsfield. And, and he sat there, and he had really clunky clothes. I mean, he was, he was wearing ill-fitting polyester high-water pants and, and had a cardboard sign around his neck with twine tied uh, around his neck. And, and it was like Romans or John, and it was poorly lettered, but it was some gospel message. And he had these little tracks that looked like they'd been run, run off on an old mimeograph machine or something. And he just stood there. Hardly anyone ever approached him, but he just stood there kind of a silent witness to the Lord. And I just love this guy. Uh, because all the high-powered dudes and babes are going by, and you know, with all their fancy dress and stuff, and, and they look at this guy, you loser, you know. I went over and talked to him a couple of times, had the best time, just a sweet fellow. And um, I don't know the details of the end times, but I know that there's going to be this great revelation, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and and, uh, and so I imagine it this way. I imagine that Christ is standing before the assembly and that old fellow's out there and, and then some of the people who kind of blew by him in uh, the airport. And I can imagine Christ calling some of these people out and say, sir, you know when you were going with your mistress to, to New York to raise up a corporation or bring down one and you had your Gucci and your Pucci and your Bally and your Rolex and your shirt unbuttoned to your navel with the hair and the bling and stuff and you, yeah. Your paint on tan, and and you said something really snide, and the, and your mistress just laughed, you know, about this guy. And and, and by the way, you you Christian lady, you, you remember you were a junior partner in a law firm, and you were with a senior partner, and you were walking by in your business suits, and you're going to do litigation or deposition or something in some city, and 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 your senior partner, who is not a believer, said something really cruel about this fella, and. And you didn't say anything because you didn't want to be identified with such a loser as that. And, and you kids, you remember when y'all were playing keep away with that gimme cap and tossing and chasing and tormenting each other and you bumped into that guy and made him drop his tracks and you didn't care and you laughed and then you jumped on the train? I don't think you're, you're really understanding what's going on here. And, and it might call that old fellow up here and the guy shovels up there and he says, listen, let me just explain. This guy is an oak of righteousness, and I planted him for the display of my splendor, and he is splendid. Any questions? Now, you may feel marginalized and disparaged in the media and sitcoms and movies, and you may not be invited to the best parties, and you may be called Victorian, Puritanical, phobic, this or that, or patriarchal, or whatever, you, they, you know, theocratic. They have all kinds of names for saying that people who believe the Bible are repellent or dangerous or pathetic. And, and never lose your head because you come back to the Scripture and you find that those in Christ are oaks of righteousness. And he planted you for the display of his splendor. That's who you are. And so listen, if you're poor, if you're brokenhearted, if you're in some kind of bondage or prison, uh, if, you, if you mourn, if you despair at justice in the world, if you, if you uh, find yourself looked down upon and disparaged because of your faith, understand, Jesus Christ is the one who makes all these things right. And as you rest in him and grow in him, you delight in him. Dear God, 
thank you so much for this message uh, that you have given us in Isaiah 61. Thank you that Jesus stood up in his day and read this in the synagogue and said, I am he. This is, this is why I came. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today who are bewildered and beleaguered and, and uh, laboring with guilt and laboring with want and resentment and uh, fear and even shame, I pray that just as these verses say, you will lift them up and fill them with glory, bless them, constrain them, sanctify them, and glorify them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.